0: This week we talk medical cannabis refugees, what it means to be craft, and the difference between medical and recreational weed. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in-thing the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence.
1: Critical
0: grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts.
1: Critical grass. I'm Danny Mer-Sloat. I'm from Boulder, Colorado, uh, born and raised, and I am the co-founder and head grower of Alpenstache, a small craft cannabis company that I run with my wife, Mer.
0: That happy springtime jam is a little track called Leaving Her Flowers by an artist called Bureaucratic. Flowers, of course, being the specialty of Alp and stash a family-owned and operated craft cannabis cultivation company based in Boulder County, Colorado. They've only been around since 2015, but in that time, they've managed to officially develop 35 of their own cannabis strains, unofficially over 200, using organic, sustainable materials with a focus on small batch, always hand-trimmed and glass-cured cannabis flower. Quality over quantity, and that includes the THC content in their cultivars as well. In short, they take the word craft very seriously and actually put their money where their mouths are. I was lucky enough to speak with Danny via Skype, where he told me about his adventures in craft growing, among several other topics, which we will get to in a few minutes. But naturally, I wanted to start with how he initially came into contact with our favorite plant.
1: Yeah, so I definitely uh, had my experiences in high school and after high school. Um, But shortly after I turned 21, I uh, experienced some pretty bad stomach pains. Um, I was hospitalized for uh, like four or five days, uh, discharged, put on Vicodin. I went to get testing done and saw various doctors, tried to figure out what was going on. Couldn't figure it out. So I went and saw a pain specialist who pretty quickly put me on fentanyl, um, both the lollipops and the patches. So this was uh, in the early 2000s where I don't think that uh, people weren't aware of uh, what is now the opiate crisis. And I don't think people understood the quite the dangers, although I don't know why they didn't of of things like fentanyl. So I think I first went in in September and then with by uh, May or June, I was on fentanyl. So uh, the next preceding years of my life were uh, pretty much doctors uh, uh, trying to figure out what was going on and uh, being in an opiate and medical uh, haze and slump in life. Um, within a few years, I developed a nerve impingement issue uh, in my neck that affected my whole arm. Uh, so I, I had a series of surgeries for that. And then also in this whole time frame, I developed a non-cancerous basal skull tumor. So I had a surgical procedure to take care of that, which was pretty major. Um, so towards, towards the end of this time in my life, I was pretty, pretty much, uh, either, uh, hanging out in bed, uh, in my room or going to doctors. So really didn't have, you know, any life outside of, uh, being in a you know a medicated haze, uh, my dad actually this was in 2009 suggested I try uh, medical cannabis. It was becoming accessible realistically for the first time at that point. So in September I got my card. Um, <clears throat> in you know October or November I think I went to my first dispensary. I hadn't smoked for a number of years. I had had some bad experiences, paranoia and things like that. Uh, in retrospect, I don't think it mixed well at all for me, at least with the amount of opiates I was on. Um, but I, so I went to a dispensary. I got a free clone with purchase at that time. Uh, that's how I started growing and went home and tried it. Uh, and uh, pretty quickly turned my life around. I, it, it was a great uh, pain medic pain uh, medication for me. It, it, whereas the opiates hadn't helped, which is why over the years I had been put on increased doses of them. Uh, the cannabis did help alleviate my pain. And with that breathing room, I was able to get myself off of the opiates that I had been on for eight or nine years at that point. Um, I was also on medications for the side effects of the opiates and then medications for the side effects of those and so on and so forth. Um, so within, you know, probably three or four months, I was able to get off all the opiates completely and then turn my life around. Um, Cannabis uh, was the factor in that, both growing, uh, I found growing extremely therapeutic, and used that as part of my recovery um, as much as the ingestion of cannabis itself.
0: Danny's case sounds quite familiar in that, at least medically speaking, he was in a very tough spot where he was prescribed large amounts of pharmaceuticals made by people in lab coats for the profit of massive pharmaceutical corporations. When that formula didn't work, someone fortunately suggested he try cannabis instead, and he was able to turn his health around very quickly. This, of course, was made possible by the legislators of Colorado, who ended cannabis prohibition with Amendment 64 in 2012, and since then, it has become somewhat of a mecca for medical cannabis refugees. The exact figures are not known since many people have reservations about using the term medical marijuana refugee for obvious reasons. But researchers have concluded that Colorado's population increased by 3.2% in 2015, and that number has certainly risen in the five years since then. However, the situation of medical cannabis patients is somewhat uncertain since the explosion of adult use in recent years. Danny discusses the topic of stigma and medical cannabis in his home state.
1: Yeah. So Colorado is really interesting. We're a purple state and, um, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, East of Denver, it's, it's a very, very red, very conservative state. And then, you know, Denver and West is tends to be very liberal. So I, uh, Boulder is, uh, uh, a liberal and, you know, was a hippie Mecca in the seventies and very liberal. So, uh, there was actually no stigma at all for me, uh, pretty much ever, um, I mean, you know, I, I went through the DARE program there, there were not, uh, they presented cannabis as a uh, pretty bad back then, but like, you know, I never, even in high school, like, you know, there was, there was no real stigma attached. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I grew up in that place. Um, you know, when in, in 2009, when it, when we were, I was trying to find, uh, medical cannabis, um, it was a little bit difficult finding a doctor at that time. Um, i found a dispensary because there was one across the street from uh the college cu uh before the laws changed to prevent things like this but there was a giant neon sign that said dr reefer with an arrow pointing down um there was other ones but those were a little bit harder to find um so that's why i went to that one first cuz it w- it was there but you know like i said i mean there was no stigma and even to this day i don't find any of that i um even rarely in my travels uh in in the country and uh out of the country um i don't find a lot of stigma i know for me personally uh I was in such a bad state of you know uh psychological and physical being that no- I, nobody would have said anything i mean i had such a drastic change i was i had you know i i was 50 or 60 pounds heavier than I generally had been throughout most of my life and just you know really sickly and so when I had this change of losing all the weight and re-engaging with life and being much better like you know nobody uh, you know I didn't come across anybody that said why did you do this you should have stuck with opiates I mean you know even the doctors that I had had that um had kind of had issues with you know initially with cannabis once they saw me you know it was like a success story before their eyes Yeah. So actually there was only a few doctors at that time that prescribed. I I had been seeing uh, a family physician since I was 13. Um, They wouldn't prescribe it. Not that they had anything against it, but um, it was so new and uh, so unknown and, you know, that only a few doctors would actually prescribe that. And then as the kind of movement grew, the amount of doctors that prescribed it grew. Although to this day, there's still, um, you know, while they're very easily accessible and easy to find, there is only, you know, a handful like you probably wouldn't go to your general doctor you know, that, you know, for uh, a medical marijuana prescription. You would go see, you know, a, ca- a cannabis doctor. And and even then, that that process generally tends to be pretty quickly, pretty quick. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, they don't write prescriptions for particular things because there's no real research done so it's hard for them to say you have this condition you should do this and while they have suggestions it's just you know here's your uh, cannabis card this allows you to go purchase medical cannabis um although that these days is sort of it's still pretty strong but it's definitely shrinking um because you know adult use is so easily accessible um so you know that's that's kind of unfortunate i think that um having the medical side be a thriving uh, Part of it is is really, really nice, and while it's still there, Um, and I don't know if it will go away, it's definitely shrinking.
0: The situation of medical cannabis patients is obviously worrisome, even in places that have done away with prohibition. Oregon is another state that comes to mind. Since introducing adult use or recreational sales, prices have fallen drastically in Oregon to the point where a gram of high-quality flour will cost around $5, and concentrates are as cheap as $10 a gram, tax not included. Now, it must be said that medical cannabis and recreational cannabis are really the same thing. Physically, genetically, functionally, there's no real difference between the two. However, with medical cannabis, seeing a doctor or some sort of highly trained, qualified professional to guide your purchases and titration is crucial if your goal is to defeat whatever illness you may have. Butt-tenders can be very helpful if you want a recommendation for something that can give you some good chuckles or a bit of creative inspiration. But very few have medical training and even fewer have clinical experience where they study test results and adjust dosages with patients based on hard data. States with medical programs in the U.S. at the very least require contact with a physician or some sort of healthcare provider – which does provide some sort of reassurance to desperate patients. So maintaining such programs is key if patient health is the number one priority. I asked Danny how he sees the difference between medical and recreational cannabis.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I believe it was Oregon that that you're talking about, but it was interesting because here, um, you know, in terms of the difference in quality between medical and adult use, there really isn't any um, uh, grow. As, As long as you have a specific certain license, you can grow uh, medical and adult use and they're pretty much interchangeable you designate a plant as medical and a plant as a you know adult use or or here they call it retail um and that uh you know the grow techniques the conditions the environments the genetics none of that's different it's you know it's just plant on the left is medical plant on the right is adult use uh but the but the big thing is is the tax rate you know medical here is still taxed at whatever sales tax is and Uh, Adult use is, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent, depending on where you are by the time it gets to you taxed. So there's really uh, it's really up to the medical users and the patients to continue uh, pushing for medical because the state obviously wants a shit ton more taxes. So Mm -hmm. they really don't go out of their way to do to keep it going. Uh, A lot of times the industry, uh, a lot of facets, the industry also doesn't push to keep it going. So it's really up to the people that that participate in it to, to push it. So, and, and that's a, like you said, it, the Colorado was a mecca for medical use. And because of that, I think that we have a pretty strong community that does push for that, uh, thankfully.
0: It's a little unfortunate that the state is siding with the people who are going to bring in the most tax revenue while making patients fend for themselves. On the one hand, it isn't exactly surprising, given the type of economy and government there is in the U.S., but it leaves a lot of doubt with respect to the intentions and motivation of the authorities. The question is, do such patients have anyone they can count on for help going forward?
1: Uh, so there's definitely a group of activists, and it mainly actually focuses around uh, growing in caregiver rights. Um, you know, initially, when medical started, uh, you could designate somebody to grow your plants for you and provide you with cannabis um, and that those people were known as the caregivers. And initially, there wasn't really a limit on how big that, that person, how big that grow could be. So you as a caregiver could, you know, have 30 patients and grow 100 plants. Um, and so some companies started, or you know, rather caregiver-focused grows started popping up, um, you know. And, and uh, for a minute, there really sort of was a perceived threat. To uh, the industry. Um, And I say that because we've never as a company, I say proceed because uh, we're very much for caregiver rights and home growth. So that was never, um, you know, I don't think that it was a threat uh, to the industry, but some of the big people did and, uh, and really pushed to limit that. And so now caregiver, it's, it's very difficult to be a caregiver, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through, a lot of zoning laws that initially you could do it in your basement as long as it was separate and kind of locked up. And now uh, those are all uh, changed, too. So there's a core group of people still fighting for caregiver and home growing rights. Um, and like I said, you know, we're very much for that.
0: It's comforting to know that Colorado still has people willing to fight for cannabis patient rights, but something tells me this battle is far from over, as people healing themselves with this plant have to deal with not just big pharma and their precious profits, but also a state legislature that has to walk a fine line between corporations and the electorate. Fortunately, as Danny points out, there is a group to support medical cannabis patients called American Medical Refugees, which provides support for families hoping to connect with other people in situations where medical cannabis treatment is necessary for survival and to find resources for them. This includes domestic patients from prohibition states, but also people from abroad who don't have access to medical cannabis back home. Well, getting back to Danny, I was curious how he himself went from being a patient to starting his own craft cultivation company.
1: I hadn't really ingested um, before this, especially medically, you know, not for a number of years. So I kind of, to be honest, tried medical cannabis as sort of out of desperation because everything else had failed. And I didn't really have, uh, you know, high hopes for it, pardon the pun. But, uh, once it, it, I saw how effective it was, um, it really opened my eyes and uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, this, this, is, this is real, this is medicine, this is going to be something that's going to be really popular. It's only a matter of time before it goes, you know, across the country and the world. And, you know, I had because I had spent almost all my 20s in this medical and, and opiate, you know, uh, limbo. Um, I didn't really have any skills or any any career path in mind at all. And so I thought uh, it's so therapeutic to, to grow for me. It's so helpful for me. I bet if I can learn how to do this uh, well and, you know, be as knowledgeable and as passionate as I can be, that this will turn into a career path. So I actually started out with the idea that I would, you know, grow, be a grower somewhere um, or do something in the cannabis industry. Uh, I got my first job in 2010 at at a dispensary, quickly switched over to um, being in the grow. At that time, it was just getting up and running. Um, This was when, you know, true commercialized grows were just starting to pop up as opposed to home grows and caregivers being uh, the source of of flower for dispensaries. Um, That job was with a family friend of, you know, 15 or 20 years and was pretty, uh, pretty terrible. And I was not treated well. I was not compensated well. And just the growing environment and uh, and the style of growing was was, did not jive with me. So I took a step back, went to horticulture school um, and then uh, started working in the indoor uh, the supply side of the indoor cultivation equipment. It's like a grow store. Um, At that point, uh, I, I eventually was offered a job with another family friend who had known my dad since the 60s. It should have been another situation in which I was treated well. Um, That turned out to be just as bad of an experience. And so it was at that point that I thought if I want to grow the way that I want to using, you know, you know, quality uh, nutrients and having a clean grow without, uh, you know, using anything nasty and really providing a really truly craft product, which is where my passion is anyways, if I wanted to do that. Uh, i have to start my own. And so it was at that point that, that I really switched gears. Um, I think this was in 2012 to really start taking the steps to, to you know, realize what would eventually become Elf Stash.
0: Be the change that you want to see in the world. As someone wise once said, not being satisfied with his employment conditions and seeing that the DIY approach would make him much happier in addition to producing top shelf cannabis to his standards, going independent seemed like a no brainer for Danny. Well, Colorado has its fair share of craft breweries, but would a craft cannabis company be able to survive in a state with an already high amount of competition?
1: It, it, this is a very craft-heavy area in terms of pretty much everything. Breweries, distilleries, you know, craft-cured meats, and, and pretty much everything here, especially this part of not only the country, but of Colorado itself. Um, so craft cannabis is a pretty easily accepted thing. Um, the the issue though is is that it's still such an emerging market, uh, and and connoisseurs kind of take time to establish and you know have and there's a, a definitely a level of education that has to happen for your average consumer to walk into a store and understand by sight and smell and reading like reading the ingredients that that is a craft product as opposed to following branding uh, marketing and or you know, as you mentioned, bud tenders that might you know not know themselves, uh, or you know, I've 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 certainly been or worked at places that they they've told you to push certain products uh, for various reasons. You know, when a when a consumer asked or customer asked you. Um, so the threat from from big corporations is the is as as we see it is the misinformation. Um, I know that there are a lot of uh, companies that that really spend a lot in branding and marketing and um, you know push forth what they what they like to call a craft product when it it isn't. It is you know literally commercialized, industrialized um, you know cannabis, you know, made as cheap as possible uh, with the fewest uh, or, you know the least expensive uh, and, and you know not clean products. I know that there are specifically, I know of some specific companies that really, really, really push a craft side and and are, you know, literally the opposite of that. And they just take advantage of the lack of information and branding. Um, So that's, you know, the the biggest threat to the average person seeking craft is actually, you know, understanding what that takes. And for a company like us, you know, that that really starts kind of at the ground up, you know, what we what we put in our plants, you know, what they grow in the in-conditions they are, who's growing it, you know, what intentions do they have, uh, finished products, is it hand-trimmed, is it machine-trimmed, is it, you know, for us, we hand-trim, we cure in glass, Uh, we ship to the dispensaries in glass. So really, you know, again, from us, it's the ground up. We don't package in, uh, you know, in cans with nitrogen sealed. So it's like, you know, some people call it like tuna fish cans. And and so we, you know, we don't do that, you know, when we, we are kind of moving towards Uh, looking at brandage pre-packaged pre-weighted out flour and for us you know any packaging we do will be uh, at the very least recyclable and you know hopefully compostable so you know again from the ground up we are craft and everything we do is done by hand and really um, we see more and more people appreciating that but it takes time and it takes knowledge you know when you read that ingredients list do you understand what that is it's like food you know um, your average consumer wants good food, but but what they end up buying has, you know, half a the label they can't pronounce, and and you know it's the same with cannabis. We, you know we spend so much effort and time and money doing this, and when we see companies that literally use commercial, you know, fertilizer salts uh, that come bulk from China, you know, as synthetic as it gets, claiming to be craft, um, and really doing well, and then I hear people being like, oh, they're a great craft company, it's. It's just like, you know, that's really frustrating. So I, I'll, I'll stick it to them as well anytime, anytime we
0: can. So craft in some cases might just be a name used for marketing purposes, as Danny illustrates here. Having an old-timey, folksy-sounding name and or logo doesn't make you craft. It's all about the processes and the resources, as well as the passion and intention of the craftsman or craftswoman that will draw people to a given product. Passion, knowledge, but also patience are key here as it's the final quality of the end product and not how many units you can sell that will distinguish craft producers from mass producers. Another issue Colorado has to deal with, like pretty much all other places that have ended or are soon going to end prohibition, is where to consume newly legal cannabis. Craft beer taprooms are enormously popular and Colorado has long been a hotspot for skiing, which means you have lots of people coming in from out of state. So, how does Colorado plan on addressing the need for public spaces where people can consume cannabis safely?
1: uh Well, you know that's a, a really interesting question because of covid nineteen um, this year, they were actually just uh rolling out so they call them social use clubs or social so, social use businesses um you know as a as uh, our our last our previous governor uh Governor Hickenlooper was traditionally a beer guy and was, um, while not against the industry, was unfriendly towards it. Um, and our new governor, uh, Governor Polis, is very cannabis friendly. So as soon as he got in, he sort of helped push forward uh, some things that were in, the, in in kind of in the background, like, de- you know, delivery uh, and the social use clubs. Um, and so those were really slated. There are a few that opened, um, but there was a lot in the works uh, back when we could actually hang out with people in congruent areas, so um, you know, I think that 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 will be the future because you do bring up a really interesting point in that you know people come and and there are lots of tourists and I've met a number of them that are like I go to the store and I buy this and then I can't smoke in my hotel, can't smoke in the car, can't smoke on the street, you know a lot of Colorado is, uh, national parks. We have these beautiful, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park. We have beautiful forests, beautiful camping. Uh, it's still illegal. Uh, cannabis is completely illegal on national forest land because that's part of the federal government, you know, owns that land. So it's like, I can't smoke on the trails. Like, what do I do? So, um, you know, I think these social use clubs are going to be really, really great, um, place for that. And I really hope that they can open up, uh, you know the other side of that is is it was encouraging you know sort of like tap room style things you know today when you go to a brewery you know they have the brewery in the back and the little tap room in the front where you can you know hang out and you know drink the beer and do whatever and and i and that's um a model that that they were also pushing for and, and a model that would you know benefit us very very well someday um and hopefully things will get back on track um and life will kind of return to some semblance of normalcy where you can do that. And it's really, really, really wild and unfortunate for people because, again, uh, a lot of the ski areas are federal land. And I had a friend um, who actually, you know, he 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 got he was he was snowboarding on on a, on a ski area that occupied federal land, and you know had a big beard and uh, you know shaggy hair. And so as he's walking back to his car, some park rangers followed him. Uh, looked into his car, saw a grinder, um, you know, pulled out, you know, arrested him, searched his car, you know, found his like, you know, joint or, you know, like a tiny amount of weed, uh, fined him 350 bucks, took him to jail and, you know, had to bail out and fight a ticket. So, I mean, it's it's, it's still federally, it's still illegal. I mean, you can literally, you know, smoke and then cross into federal land and park rangers are, Federal police, and you could be. Uh, although you don't, you're not like put in jail, and you're usually just fined, you know, 250, 350 bucks, and sort of they take whatever's there and kick you off with a t- and send you on your way with a ticket. Uh, it's still illegal there, and it's really weird uh, juxtaposition. We have all this beautiful land, and cannabis is so amazing in the outdoors, and
0: you still have to be careful. So Colorado has actually done something to bring about social consumption sites, though, as Danny mentioned, the coronavirus situation has put everything on hold. You would think that medicating in the forest or some mountain trail would be a okay but unfortunately, you still have lots of areas under federal control, and the federal government is stubbornly not doing anything to accept the changing reality of the acceptance of cannabis by the broader public. Before the lockdown, Colorado did have a few places where you could publicly consume cannabis, mostly Denver, but Colorado Springs also put a social consumption ordinance in place and even has two licensed lounges compared to just one in Denver. In 2019, Governor Polis signed two House bills into law, Bill 1234, which allows for commercial deliveries of cannabis, and Bill 1230, which allows for tasting rooms and marijuana hospitality establishments that allow for the consumption, but not the sale, of cannabis. Now this can be quite frustrating, as you have a fully legal product, but not many places that allow you to consume it. But change is on the horizon. And Danny even believes this is the case on the federal level as well. I'll
1: tell you what's really interesting about that is that we have been designated as essential businesses in Colorado. So even though there's a quarantine and a lockdown, cannabis has been designated essential. So we're the same as, you know, supermarkets and pharmacies and stuff like that. And uh, many states are having that happen. So yeah, I think we have to be patient with the federal government. But that's uh, an insanely huge step forward that you know, actually, in Denver, when they when they instituted the lockdown, they initially said adult use cannabis stores would not allowed to be remain open, uh, as well as liquor stores. And immediately, uh, those stores got flooded, lines out the door, and there was such an uproar that within a few hours, they actually came back out and said, okay, no, these will be deemed essential. So, uh, if th- that's a huge sign uh, towards you know federally federal legalization and ex- and social acceptance.
0: Talk about the power of popular demand. If a bunch of stoners can get the government to listen, imagine what millions of informed and angry workers could do for the country. But that's a topic for a different podcast altogether. So Danny seems rather optimistic about federal legalization, and in terms of social acceptance, I think he doesn't need to worry about that either, especially living in a very canna-friendly place like Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I wanted to get his insights, however, on how he thinks the near future will look like in his home state.
1: Um, I think that we're headed in a positive direction i think it's just going to be like a general market um direction i mean you know you use uh, I, I keep coming back to the alcohol analogy you know i think that we'll see uh and, and i hope we'll see an increase in the, in the craft uh producers and, and by that i mean people that are truly craft and not just marketing branding's thing uh i also think you'll think you'll see a consolidation of you know everybody below that so i think that you'll have you know giant corporate candidate you know uh, industrial cannabis um like budweiser and coors and then you'll have the craft like uh beers like wiley roots and well works um and things like that that are you know but i don't think there's going to be much of a middle market um and i think that you know uh <clears throat> when things return to normal i think we will see more adult uh use clubs and uh cannabis friendly venues and businesses and I think that in Colorado barring something drastic um, certainly as long as our governor stays in office it will become more relaxed and more uh, easily accessible to people over the age of 21 to use safely Um, and you know and for those that need it medically as well although I think everybody uses it medically to some extent
0: As I like to say, all cannabis is medical cannabis, just ask your endocannabinoid system. So Colorado looks like it's in a good position to remain canna-friendly to its residents and out-of-towners, but also to medical refugees, though that might need more attention if the state's focus turns to driving revenue numbers. Danny does have some valid concerns, however, about certain actors in the cannabis space in Colorado, specifically those interested in the wrong kind of green.
1: Not that I don't, not that I look down on people that don't, consume themselves but you know when you have whole boards of people that you know not only don't consume but maybe have never smoked pot and 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 don't care about it at all except that it's a moneymaker um you know that increasingly is what these companies are becoming um because they're industrializing and um you know it's just the entrenched ceos uh and you know board people of that style that sort of take these companies over venture capitalists and such and, and really, uh, it's ha- it's more widespread, it's bigger, and it's happening faster than your average consumer thinks. So, you know, see through the branding, see through the marketing, do your research um, if if these values matter to you. Because um, as craft growers and producers, we're out there.
0: Unfortunately, due to the economic situation in the U.S. as a result of the coronavirus lockdown, craft and -and mom-and-pop type operations are highly under threat of having to close up shop, and the cannabis industry is not immune to this, despite being deemed essential business in many places. The federal government has once again bailed out the companies that need it the least while throwing less than crumbs to workers and small businesses, which means many will have to permanently shut down. As a result, larger businesses interested in mostly profit will be able to swoop in and buy up all the shuttered establishments at a low cost and reopen at corporate prices. So Danny's concern here is actually very justified. uh, So it is a good idea to do your homework and find out which companies really are craft and local. So any advice for those interested in potentially getting into the game of craft cannabis?
1: Uh, yeah, I would definitely say that if this is what you want to do as a career, you know, it, it hopefully it's something that you love doing because there's definitely, you know, trials and tribulations, but as though for those that are trying to, you know, get into the medicine side of it, um, you know, and, and for the consumers, like really research and know who you're supporting, know the companies that you're supporting. Um, you know we're very active on social media we're very active on youtube we share a lot of our grow techniques and we continue to expand that on youtube um we encourage people to try growing at home um and really we just you know um want people to understand that you vote with your dollars and that you should be aware of what you put into your body and the intentions behind that um <clears throat> and you know for those that are looking to grow um really just try it out to whatever extent you can. Obviously, you know, the, the laws and, you know, might dictate how you go about doing that, but you can keep it simple. You can have a great time. I mean, one of the things I, that we're really passionate about, and especially during <clears throat> this lockdown, is people being able to grow their own uh, medicine and do it cheaply and successfully and have fun with it. And so, you know, wherever your passion is, you know, certainly follow that and you vote with your dollars to so support the companies that matter we're uh, just a small family grow. It's myself and my wife, and we got a couple of employees, and we're just really putting our heart and soul into our products. So, um, you know, again, do research on the companies before you buy as a consumer. Uh, I really can't say that enough.
0: That's some very sage advice. So where do we go if you want to get a hold of Danny?
1: So like I said, we have a really active social media following on Instagram. We're at Alpenstash, uh, at A-L-P-I-N-S-T-A-S-H. Uh, we're on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is Alpenstash as well. Uh, our website, alpenstache.com. Um, reach out to us. We're pretty accessible. We're really passionate. Uh, I just keep saying this over and over again, but we're really passionate about empowering people to grow uh, their own at home. So, um, you know, and just share genetics and our love, uh, for this plant and the growing of it. So we're out there. You can find us, you can reach out to us. Uh, email is alpenstache at gmail.com.
0: And uh, we're there. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so we have to bid farewell to our guest. Danny Merslote of Alp and Stash. Uh, it was an awesome chat. You really know uh, how to make a pothead's mouth water uh, as far as craft cannabis goes. Uh, keep pumping out those wonderful cultivars. Uh, good luck with, with uh, Alp and Stash and, and uh, any other project you might be working on. Maybe I'll catch you at a cannabis fair someday uh, or at Colorado when I, I finally make it out there as uh, I'm long overdue.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome.
0: That was episode 39, one more to go before the big 4-0. Once again, a big Rocky Mountain thank you to Danny of Alpen Stash. Make sure to check out their Instagram for some bodacious bud porn. You will not be disappointed. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, share, and rejoice. All over social media, it will make me smile for a few glorious minutes. If you want to make me smile even harder, you can become a Patreon member by going to patreon.com slash criticalgrass. If PayPal is your thing, there's a link for that on our homepage as well. We have more episodes coming your way very soon, so don't go anywhere. As has been the case this whole time, my name is Bogdan. Keep it craft, baby.